This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. We're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each episode will focus in on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after this episode and listen to the Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends wherever you get your podcast. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey and its deep financial issues because we're going to break down uh, some CBA negotiations today. The NHL and NHL Players Association have agreed to a CBA extension pending a vote by the players. And then the NHL's Board of Governors, they've agreed to return to play protocols. So there's a lot of stuff to get into, a lot of minutia that is going to affect how the NHL and the Golden Knights might potentially return to play this year and how their financial landscape will be shaped in the future. So that's a lot to break down. But before we get to that, I just want to remind everyone that this podcast is presented by Favor, drinkafavor.com. You can, of course, find all our written work at reviewjournal.com. Also, please uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this podcast. It helps other people find us. And then last but not least, I want to bring in my uh, partner in crime on the Golden Knights beat at the RJ, Dave Shane. Dave, how, how have you been doing trying to keep up with all this news? Making my hair stand up, literally. <laughs> but uh, I got my uh, got my coronavirus test back negative after feeling sick last week, so that's the good news. We're ready to go, and I guess I got to get my passport ready, right? Yeah, apparently, because of course, as we kind of talked about last week, uh, Las Vegas is probably out as a hub city. Edmonton and Toronto are in the Golden Knights by all reports are going to Edmonton. Uh, Dave, you've been before. I have not. Uh, how do you feel about spending some time in the lovely province of Alberta, potentially? I'm sure it's much nicer in the summer than it is in the dead of winter. I'll say that. Uh, we probably should leave it there. Um, <laughs> I, I'd i love to see the golf courses. I'm, I'm sure they're nice. I probably won't be able to. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm down in the ice district and that's all I have to do, Eh, we'll make the best of it. It's not not the worst place to be. Well, there you go. It's not the worst place to be. Certainly from a health and safety standpoint, uh, like I said, we talked about this last week, but one of the main reasons, of course, Las Vegas was eventually phased out as a potential hub city, Edmonton phased in, was just the COVID numbers. And obviously, Las Vegas has seen 
a big increase in positive tests recently, while Edmonton's numbers are just, just far, far fewer than the numbers we're seeing in Las Vegas. Obviously, the whole goal is to put these players in bubbles and kind of keep them tight so that nothing gets in or out. And so from a theoretical standpoint, the number of positive tests uh, shouldn't affect where the NHL decides to put these, but we all know that we're living in reality, not a theoretical construct. And it was just going to be, I think, too risky to put it in Las Vegas where the threat of any possible pop of the bubble was going to be pretty high, where as an Edmonton, if the bubble ever breaks down, there's still a pretty good chance that the NHL could be okay. We're still not 100%. If these hub cities are actually going to host these teams, like I said off the top, we do have a bunch of agreements in place now. We know what the NHL's postseason tournament is going to look like and how kind of business will be conducted in these hub cities, in these bubbles, if this all comes to pass. But both the NHL Board of Governors and the NHLPA have to rubber stamp this. I would anticipate the Board of Governors kind of being a slam dunk because Gary Bettman always gets what he wants, uh, the commissioner. The NHLPA is going to be a little bit dicier, but we're going to break that down a little bit later. Uh, Before we get to all that return to play stuff, I do want to talk about the extremely fun topic that is uh players association and league cba negotiations because part of the vote that is going to include the players referring to play is going to be approving this extension it's going to be an additional four years under the current cba through the 2025 2026 season it would freeze the salary cap at 81 and a half million next season so it's not going up it's not going down and it's going to stay there until revenues hit 4.8 billion dollars according to tsn which for those of you that don't know the league's financial picture uh it would be a little bit under probably the projected revenues for this year before the covid19 of course pandemic so Basically, the league and players are saying we're going to keep the salary cap the same and we're not going to raise it at all until we kind of get back to where we were before coronavirus shut everything down. Uh, Escrow, which we kind of tried to talk about last week, it's really hard to talk about and make interesting, but it's basically a portion of each player's salary that gets withheld by the owners so that players and owners get a 50-50 split of the hockey revenue pot, uh, that's going to be capped at 20% next year if this CBA negotiation was not agreed to as possible that it could go as high as I saw 35%. So players would have more than a third of their salaries withheld just because revenues would be coming up so short this year because of all the missed games due to COVID-19. Uh, players will also have a 10% salary deferral next year to kind of help out owners with cash flow. So 10% of Each player's salary will not be paid next year, but it will be paid back eventually. It's just something the owners don't have to fork over right away, Um, which is, like I said, a lot of uh, big mumbo jumbo. But the good news, I think, ultimately, is that the Olympics are going to be back under this agreement, too. That's something I think more people can grasp and grab onto is that NHL players might be back in the 2022 and 2026 Olympics, which I think for most people, especially uh, me, Dave, as someone who was raised on olympic hockey by watching miracle a million freaking different times uh that's that's very exciting news yeah so i want to go back and correct you though ben they're not Uh hub cities Uh anymore they're they're secure zones oh Oh, geez secure secure zones not hub city secure zones so what is even secure anymore yeah let's make sure we're clear on that but no i'm I'm just messing with you although they are really secure zones uh yeah i mean the olympics is you know 
that's sort of, I guess, the nugget that was handed over to the players in, in all because, I mean, it's not like they did well, but it's not like they, they had a choice and all. I'll tip my cap to uh, Ken Campbell of uh, the Hockey News. He wrote a great blog about it, um, kind of explaining it too. But, I mean, the players, like, didn't have a choice here. So, you know, like, did the players do well or anything like that? Like, as long as there's a hard salary cap and it's going to be frozen and probably frozen for at least the next, I would assume, two seasons and maybe three, depending on how long it takes for revenue to get back up to pre you know, pandemic numbers and all of that, which is essentially what it's going to be set at. I, 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 they didn't have a choice because so, so let's here, here, here's the thing. I, I want to make sure listeners understand kind of the ramifications and why maybe the CBA had to be redone in the first place and, and all of that. And I guess where I would start with is because of escrow, because of the salary cap all being tied to revenue, you could have been looking at a salary cap with like 65 million or something next year with a massive escrow bill for the players. So as long as everything was collectively bargained and you have 50-50 revenue share, the players were just going to be on the hook for a lot of money. This had to be redone. Otherwise, you were the other maybe ramification, and, and again, it was spelled out you know really well in that article, is you could have been looking at what he called the mother of all lockouts in 2022. And so to avoid all that and kind of to get the Olympics is, is maybe, you know, a bone kind of for agreeing to all of this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's cool, and, and it's clearly something the players wanted. I remember talking to Marc-Andre Fleury about it a couple of years ago and, you know, how the excitement that he got from being on the team when he was there, um, just just the way that players feel about it in general. So for them, yeah, it's a, it's a nice uh, it's a nice bonus, I guess, for for agreeing to the cba but it's not like the players really made out on the deal no definitely not i mean this is a case where i think the owners kind of had them over a barrel basically right because the players were the ones that were going to be on the hook for a lot a lot of money as we talked about next year and they were potentially not only going to be you know on the hook for a lot of money in the short term in terms of escrow and having to repay a bunch of money to owners but they're kind of still on the hook a little bit long term in terms of I mean, that flat salary cap is going to mean doom for a lot of potential free agents. I mean, there are so many guys, I'm sure, with expiring contracts right now who have a right to be pretty worried about what their market is now going to be like because uh, the amount of available cap space that is out there in the NHL is uh, not a lot. And we haven't even seen you know stuff pop up like uh, compliance buyouts, which happened in the last CBA where... Basically, you can do a buyout kind of guilt-free to your salary cap, and that doesn't appear like that was negotiated. So a lot of guys are going to have you know tough markets now because there's not going to be extra money kind of flowing into the pot. When I mean, you think about, obviously, Arizona with Taylor Hall, uh, St. Louis with Alex Petrangelo, those are two you know marquee free agents, one former MVP and then one guy who lifted the Stanley Cup as a captain last year. I don't know who's got the uh, financial resources now to pay those guys probably anything close to what they are expecting to before the season. So I think this is going to be a real tough offseason for a lot of guys, Dave. Yeah, and let me go back to one thing really quickly first is is just kind of this notion of you know the players and the owners. And I, I think what needs to be clear and what needs to be stated is that everybody understood the situation and the times that we're in and that nothing is going to be the same. 
and that we have to put some you know previous acrimony or any of that stuff and all that has to be cast aside and we need to work together and and maybe that's the one of the the biggest notable things to come out of this is the harmony between the NHLPA and the NHL it hasn't been seen you know at least in a lot of observers eyes in a long time that they were able to kind of work you know on this relationship and and get this done for the good of the game so you know i guess in that regard applause you know to gary bettman and his staff and to donald fear and and the guys at the nhl pr you know the guys and the women at the nhlpa as well um in terms of the salary cap you know you mentioned a couple teams like i look at vancouver vancouver's gonna have to sign elias Pettersson and quinn hughes here in the next year or two they're on entry-level contracts the salary cap's not going anywhere. They don't have any extra room. All of the room that they were planning on and working around and projecting and, you know, you can just go back to March at the board of, um, or the, uh, sorry, the general manager's meeting in Florida at the start of March. And it was projected salary cap between 84.2 million and 88 million. That was something the NHL made public. It's not going to obviously get anywhere near an $88 million ceiling for a long time. You've got to sign two potential superstars if, if you're Vancouver. The, the one thing I'll say, you know, the Knights, and, and we can talk about theirs, and I'll, I'll plug a story that I wrote. We'll see when it runs. But, you know, just kind of looking at, at their salary cap issues, the biggest thing is it probably makes it much more difficult to sign Robin Leonard. At least on paper, they're not going to have the room to do it without making some maneuvers and things like that. But the Knights, for all of that quote-unquote cost certainty that was so important to George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, they never know what's going to happen. Rainy day funds and all of that sort of stuff. Planning, I mean, they're in a position now where they don't have somebody that's waiting on a big contract like that. So, yeah, it's going to be tight. They're going to have to figure out a way to squeeze you know, Chandler Stevenson if they you know, want to re-sign Nick Cousins, if they want to say resign Tomas Nosek and things like that if they want to find somebody else on the free agent market it's tougher but I don't think the Knights are in as bad a situation for sure as some of these other teams they say a healthy gut means a healthy you favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two ounce shot better digestion Stronger immune system and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Your point about the harmonious relationship between the NHL and NHLPA, which certainly has been almost non-existent for uh, Gary Bettman's tenure as commissioner was, I think, welcoming for a lot of fans to see. Certainly, when you contrast that with how baseball has operated during this pandemic, it is uh, completely a breath of fresh air. Um, And then to go back to the Knights, as you kind of talked about, you know, this flat cap, I don't think, affects them that much, despite being a kind of contending team that obviously all year we've talked about They've been really doing this kind of uh, dance around the salary cap by sending guys up and down all the time, by doing a lot of maneuvering just to get a tiny little bit of wiggle room. The kind of nice thing 
for them, as you said, if they've gotten basically all their big deals done already, they were very proactive early on in their first couple years, especially last year, their second season, about getting extensions done while they had the cap space to do it and knowing that that maybe not wouldn't lead them to having some big, you know, kind of free agent spending sprees, but that it would really create kind of long-term balance on their books. And they don't have, as you said, any really, really bad contracts out there. They don't have a contract that really takes a guy until the end of his career. Even Mark Stone is only under contract until I believe he's about like, you know, 35-ish. And when you compare that to teams like, you know, San Jose, who's paying Brent Burns and Eric Carlson until they're 40, basically, it's a completely different situation. So, I mean, as you mentioned, a lot of their kind of division rivals, uh, Vancouver, I think of Edmonton too, are going to face a lot of you know tough decisions because the cap isn't going to go up now and because they've got guys on bigger deals, maybe some underperforming veterans and then some younger guys that are starting to break through that they will need to pay eventually. It's going to lead to some really, really tough, tough times. But with the Knights, you know, they're not going to exactly go out and spread their money around. They don't have a lot of spending cash right now, but they also don't have to make at least I don't think a lot of difficult decisions about, okay, do we have to give someone up now because of this salary cap crunch? Yes. As you mentioned, it's going to be tough for them to retain Robin Leonard, but I think that might've been, you know, a tough ask even before this pandemic happened. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, certainly on paper, it would have been a tough ask. I mean, it seems like they would have had to maneuver around a little bit. I played some with the GM tool on cap friendly and you can re-sign Cousins and Stevenson for less than $4 million. You can put Glass on the roster. You can put Haig on the roster. And you can put Oscar Dansk as the backup, and you can barely squeeze under the cap. So, I mean, it maybe gives you a baseline of kind of what they're working with and then what you have to kind of maneuver. What do you maybe have to massage and work out if you were going to make a bigger deal? Because the one thing I think that we've seen with the Knights is that they're willing to be aggressive and go after a guy that they that they want to acquire, whether it's going back to, you know, Pacioretty, Stone, whomever. They've they've never shied away from from going after somebody. So, you know, whether that's a big name in free agency, uh, whether that's a trade, you know, for say a different goaltender. Um, you know, I look at that that situation in New York with Gorgiev and Shesterkin and Lundqvist, and you you figure the Rangers have to do something at some point. I don't know where the the Knights evaluate, say somebody like Gorgiev, but I mean it's kind of funny because in a way, you brought up you know the Knights don't have a contract that that's an anchor like Burns or whatever. In a way, maybe what's funny is the one contract you could argue is Flurries, and a goaltender making seven million and whether that's the one that's hamstringing them a little bit and, and they're committed to him and it makes it tougher to you know to sign Leonard if you're gonna commit, you know, like what, sixteen, say seventeen percent of your payroll to two goaltenders. No, definitely. I don't think we see basically any teams doing that. I think the Highest uh, outlay I think I've seen from a team this year is the Montreal Canadiens, who've paid a total of about $11 million to their goaltenders, and that's just because Carey Price makes $10 million. 
So it's not common at all for teams to kind of have two highly paid goaltenders on the roster, which is why it always seemed like a stretch that the Knights were going to be able to maintain both Mark andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. And for, you know, I think there's quite a few fans out there who might be thinking, well, maybe get rid of Mark andre Fleury so you can re-sign Robin Leonard. Uh, the whole point about a lot of teams not having cap space and cap space being pretty pretty finite right now, I think makes it pretty unlikely we're going to see a lot of salary dumps in the near future. I don't think it's going to be easy for teams with big contracts to move them around as much because everyone's going to have a few contracts they're going to want to get rid of right now. And there's not going to be a lot of teams that are going to be willing to take those on unless you really offer up kind of significant compensation. And I don't see the Knights, you know, getting rid of Marc-Andre Fleury and a pick just to get rid of him to re-sign Robin Leonard. I think he means too much to this organization, but I guess we'll see. This team has, of course, proven me wrong many times, as I'm sure our listeners would love to uh, talk about and reminisce about, but that would just be something that would be pretty surprising to me. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I, I I also grew up in Los Angeles, and I, I know it's so cliche, but Wayne Gretzky got traded, and I saw it. So, you know, I, I know it's a business, and I think anything can happen. Um, I don't know. You know, it, it'll be interesting. The Robin Leonard thing is just not to veer totally off the topic, but it's just going to be such a fascinating situation. And what he values and what he's going to command on the market and whether the Knights are making a pitch or could make a pitch about long-term security versus, say, money and whether that would appeal to Robin Leonard or just, just kind of where he's at with, with all of that as he enters, you know, this postseason. I mean, he's it's going to be the fourth straight summer for him as a free agent that, you know, I mean, he's been on three straight one-year contracts. I'm sure he's just sick of that. He, he just wants some security at this point. So, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, maybe the Knights can, can do that. Maybe maybe there's a way to, to convince him and, and Flurry to, to work together and, and what have you. Or, or maybe it just becomes a ruthless business and, and you go with the guy who's better. I, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, and Flurry's been in that situation before. Um, it happened in a way in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, anything, I, you know, I know I'm not answering your question, but like anything can happen with this stuff, you know? That's what's so hard to, to kind of project and, and predict with it. And then here's the other thing, too. And you kind of look at how our teams are, are all thinking about this. I mean, there's going to be an expansion draft to consider for all these other teams. Obviously, the Knights don't necessarily, you know, factor in. in but indirectly, they do, because if they can cherry pick guys and, and take advantage of situations that, that teams are going to be in, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be in the front of the line for that. No, you're totally right about that. I mean, there's so much that's obviously going on that makes all of this unprecedented, not just Leonard's situation, but how it fits in the midst of this kind of unprecedented uh, financial situation for the league. And then, of course, as you mentioned, you got expansion also coming in. It's this huge, huge kind of mix of things that teams aren't used to dealing with so obviously we've got still a ways to go before we find any of this kind of stuff out especially how Leonard's situation might play out and how 
the Knights ultimately will kind of wiggle around the salary cap. But what we can talk about kind of more in the immediate term is this return to play stuff that we kind of touched on off the top. Like I said, they have a plan for how the rest of the season is going to happen. Training camps are going to start on July 13th, which is Monday. We're recording this uh, on a Tuesday here, July 7th. So by the time we potentially talk to you guys next, training camps could be happening. Then teams are going to arrive in their hub cities July 26th, so a little bit less than two weeks after training camp start. And then games will begin August 1st. So we are potentially, if everything gets approved, less than a month away from real-life hockey games. Uh, quick couple rules. Rosters are going to consist of no more than 31 players. Uh, players can opt out if they choose, but they have to notify their teams within 72 hours of everything being approved. So once the NHLPA votes and if they say yes, then players have three days basically to tell their teams, hey, I don't feel safe or I just don't want to. I'm out. Uh, quick little adjoinder. We've touched on this a bunch as kind of a remaining mystery and now it appears to have been solved doesn't look like jack dugan will be eligible to play for the golden knights that's something that we kind of hinted at last week is that's the kind of way that the winds were blowing obviously it's not a huge blow for the knights it would be someone that would just be kind of nice to have around for depth purposes it would help dugan get acclimated to the nhl a little bit albeit in a very strange way but now it just appears he will not be able to play for the team um then something that was i think pretty important to the players their families are going to be able to arrive during the conference finals Uh, so those are just a couple quick i think highlights from uh, i believe it was 28 pages worth of rules that the players had agreed to with the league Uh, dave did anything else stick out to you did you also try to comb through the document as much as possible oh yeah i like the do not use fingers to press elevated buttons. Instead, use knuckles or elbows. <laughs> that was clearly my favorite, the elevator instructions for everyone. And they got detailed. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't make light because what they're doing is, is trying to ensure absolute safety on all of this. And, and it seems like the NHL is just going to, you know, put its giant secure zone over everybody and, and kind of you know, assume that it's protocol and is going to work, cross its fingers and, and go from there. And they're going to even make sure that guys have a protocol when it comes to entering the elevators. So clearly they're crossing every uh, T, dotting every I, looking at every little aspect of life inside this secure zone for player staff. And, and I guess the uh, social media person as well, because that's also a requirement for the teams. Everybody has to have a... Uh, like a social media person there present providing content so <laughs> you know it's 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 a few fun things in there i guess if you really comb through it yeah no it was interesting to, to see it all laid out kind of the breakdown of what a team's traveling party should look like and obviously uh there's a million little things that are going on in terms of as dave mentioned how they're supposed to just basically interact with their environment including uh up to how they work an elevator i mean there's going to be some fun things for these guys to do too i mean as dave kind of touched on you'd imagine at edmonton they'd be able to golf a little bit they're going to try to keep these guys as entertained and you know engaged as possible so it doesn't just become a long slog but it was interesting to see bars are open 
specifically <laughs> in there, the hotel lobby and bar will be available for use by persons permitted entry into the hotel. So there you go. The bar is open. See, that would give me a, a yes if I was a player. Um, you know, I'm not actually officially sure on that. I think it's interesting now that we kind of talked to Braden McNabb last week as, you know, a media contingent on a Zoom call, and he was still unsure about a lot of the the details. Those were still being worked out, of course, by the Players Association and the league. And so now players have a very realized and specific layout of this is what your life is going to be like if we agree to do this. You will be able to compete for the Stanley Cup, but you've got to follow these 28 pages of guidelines. So now that it's all out there, Dave, we kind of touched on it last week of there were some reports of a definite vocal contingent of players who seemed against it. But do you think there's any way that the the players are going to say no in the end of the day? Oh, I mean, I'll put on my serious hat, obviously, for a second here. As a group, no. But I'm curious to see because there are opt out, um, cl- you know, there's an opt out clause in the RTP in the return to play package. So if a player chooses not to participate, he can do so with no penalty. And I'm curious just to see individuals. I, I would expect this to pass. It's got to go through, like you explained at the top, it's got to go through the Board of Governors. Then it's got to go through the Executive Committee, which is one player from each team. So like in the Golden Knights case, that's Nate Schmidt. He'll be passing on the Golden Knights vote. I would expect it to go through those two, and then it'll go to full membership. I would expect it to pass at full membership as well. But we've seen some players in other sports, and, and look, this is not like, you know, I don't feel like playing. This is people's lives that are at stake in in some cases. And so guys have serious considerations and, you know, I'm making light of the elevator and, and yeah, it's, you know, I'm trying to obviously bring a little bit of humor to a podcast, but I certainly, have, you know, recognize, you know, the severity of what's going on and, and whether it's being away from family because you have a newborn, uh, whether there's health risks, uh, there are so many different things for these guys to consider. So as a group, I, I would expect it to pass. You don't get this close to the finish line without knowing you can cross it. But individually, I, I, I'd like to see if there are guys that, that just feel and, and stand up and say, you know, I, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do this. Right. And we've seen this for other sports where we've seen, you know, a bunch of NBA players have basically come out and said, hey, if we end up doing this which for them that means going to walt disney world i'm out like i'm sorry i believe bradley beal even as we were recording this the washington wizards said hey i'm sorry i'm out Uh, in major league baseball a bunch of players have raised their hands and said i don't feel comfortable uh returning to play i'm sorry i'm sitting the season out and so you would anticipate there's going to be guys in hockey and we'll see if there's any players on the gold knights uh, i haven't heard of anyone feeling this way but that's obviously just from talking to other players maybe there's some guys that are trying to keep their feelings a little bit closer to the vest but uh so far haven't heard of any golden knights wanting to opt out but you can't blame anyone that does want to as you said dave this is serious stuff this is not something to mess around with if you're feeling scared or insecure about it it just does certainly seem like you know i know there was a number floated around by a uh, sportsnet last week that you know one 
player, I think, anonymously said he thought maybe 70% of the players were against it. That just seems really hard to believe if the PA was going to go through all these hoops to you know, negotiate a CBA extension, negotiate all these protocols, if they knew that this was all going to fail. I don't think they would have put in the amount of uh, time and effort that they, of course, had to do to you know, negotiate these incredibly complex issues. So I would just anticipate that they did it because they felt that it would pass. I think most players do ultimately want a chance to finish the season and see if a Stanley Cup is awarded and just hopefully they can do it in a way where they all feel you know safe and protected as much as possible. I mean, that's that's ultimately the thing here. They, and that should be priority number one. And, and even as I joke, I mean, it, I joke because of the level of caution and safety that the NHL seems to be you know trying to take with these secure zones they you know they're going to canada because they understand it seems that you know people like hotel workers there's going to be some some folks going in and out of you know that secure zone and if they're i guess circulating in the general public they want to reduce the risk that they would be exposed to the coronavirus and it seems like in toronto and edmonton that the league feels you know that those two locations are, are safest for that that's the biggest thing that that's been in all of this the nhl waited they wanted to make sure that they were going to i guess the right place the safest place and, and if they feel like like this is the way to to do it you know then then we'll see i mean i guess like i said it's on the players and, and certain individuals if they don't feel safe if they have other reasons whatever it might be you know, to opt out and, and we'll see if they do it. Uh, the one thing I was talking about this with somebody last week and, and especially, you know, right now I'm, I'm super sensitive to a lot of this and I, I don't want to use this hockey culture because I think it's a really just weak fallback and all of that. But it does feel a little bit like because there's a chance to win the Stanley Cup. You're not baseball at the start of the season where you're saying, what am I going to risk this for? In terms of the NHL, there's a clear, you know, reward, I guess, at the end of this. If, if you feel like, you know, you want to participate, that you have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And, and I do think that that weighs pretty heavily with with a lot of hockey players. So, you know, we'll see if that affects them. We'll see around the, the league. I, I thought it was interesting, maybe to wrap it up a little bit my thought you know the league put out the the testing results on monday you know the number of players that have tested positive during phase two and outside the protocol as well and what i thought maybe one of the numbers that was most interesting was the number of players that had been tested in phase two and it was like 396 and i think if you do the math that's basically a little bit more than half of the league so it's still almost half the league that hasn't been participating in all the reports that we've heard about the Golden Knights are that basically everybody is there. So if half the league is there, but all of the Golden Knights are there, you know, I don't know. Maybe it says something about that team. Maybe it says something about how they're handling the situation. And, you know, maybe it does bode well for, for them down the road. We'll see. Yeah, Braden McNabb. Certainly seemed to think that that was a good sign when we talked to him last week. But ultimately, of course, with everything, time will tell. Uh, we will certainly talk to you guys 
pretty soon about what we know in terms of the players either approving or not approving all of these protocols and of course the CBA extension. I know that this is probably a, an issue heavy episode for all you guys with a lot of big kind of technical elements, but it does seem that, you know, actual hockey is getting pretty close on the horizon and we'll see if there are going to be actual games to talk about in less than a month, as I said. So thank you guys all for listening. As a reminder, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this podcast. Also check out all our work at reviewjournal.com. As Dave said, he's got a story coming up soon on how the flat salary cap might affect the Golden Knights. And of course, uh, I want to thank our presenter, favor, drinkafavor.com. For Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 0 and he's. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.